0: Hello everybody, Uh, welcome back for a journey around the world. In the next uh, few lectures we're going to be taking a look at South Asia. South Asia is the world's second most populous region uh, after East Asia. As a matter of fact, uh, India is the world's second most populous country and will soon overtake uh, China as the world's most populous country. The population in this region is continuing to grow as well and there are concerns about the ability of food production to keep pace South Asia experienced British colonialism for several centuries. Since achieving independence in 1947, the two largest countries in the region, India and Pakistan, have been embroiled in somewhat of a Cold War that has actually flared up into actual conflict at various times. Uh, The fact that these countries possess nuclear weapons is a matter of serious concern, not just within the region, but globally as well. Economically, this region is one of the world's poorest and is not well connected with the global economy. Uh, Referring back to the population of this region, three of the world's ten most populous countries are located in this region. Uh, India, of course, Pakistan, and Bangladesh. The region is also a primarily rural region. It's dominated by smallholder subsistence farmers. Uh, Throughout the region, there's been a divisive role of ethnicity, religion, and politics as well that we'll be exploring. Uh, Referring to the poverty in this region, uh, this region has approximately 22% of the world's population on about 4.3 of the Earth's land surface, uh, and th- this region ju- produces just a little bit over 1% of the world's GDP. So, looking at the learning objectives for this region, um, as I mentioned, this chapter uh, covers South Asia, or this the, this next uh, couple uh, lectures cover South Asia, which includes the countries. Uh, of India, Pakistan, Bangladesh, Nepal, Bhutan, Sri Lanka, and the Maldives. Um, After listening to the lectures and reading the chapter in the textbook, you should understand the unique climatological challenges of this region, which includes monsoons and hurricanes, uh, or in this region they're actually referred to as cyclones, as well as the accompanying flooding. Um, You should also understand the challenges of feeding such a large and growing population And upon uh, completion of the lectures and reading the uh, chapter in the textbook, you should be familiar with the physical, demographic, cultural, political, and economic characteristics of South Asia as well. Um, And as you see on the uh, side here, you should also be able to explain the linkages and tensions between ethnicity and religion ethnicity, religion, and contemporary geopolitics, examine the impacts of sustained population growth on South Asia's economic, social, and natural environments, and compare and contrast um, economic and social development across the region. Here are the key concepts that you should get uh, or gain uh, from reading the chapter and um, listening to the lectures, Uh, subcontinent, cyclones, monsoon, orographic rainfall, green revolution, salinization, forward capital, Hindu nationalism, Kashmir, Sanskrit, caste system, Mughal Empire, Dalits, uh, Jainism, Sikhism, Dravidian, Hindi, linguistic nationalism, British East India Company, and Indian diaspora. Um, so, as I mentioned before, this is the world's second most populated uh, populous region. It's a distinct landmass separated from the rest of the Eurasian continent. It's actually uh, referred to as a subcontinent. Um, and, and these are the countries that are uh, that we'll be looking at: India, Pakistan, Bangladesh, Nepal, Bhutan, Sri Lanka, and the Maldives. And the regional unity is based on shared history and culture. So we want to take a look at the physical geography. Uh, uh, To start off, uh, we always take a look at the physical geography first because it really does impact uh, human settlement and and so forth within the region. So that's why I always like to start off with the physical geography. Uh, But before I do that, I want to just point out this um, highway that you see here, the golden quadrilateral quadrilateral highway. Um, India has really been criticized uh, because of its very poor infrastructure uh... but the government's actually trying to do something about that by uh... improving infrastructure and one of the things they did was build this highway to improve transportation throughout the country Uh, of course uh... while people complain about the lack of infrastructure Now we have people complaining because of the building of these highways that disrupts uh, villages, destroys cropland, uh, trees are cut down to be able to build the highway as well. So uh, it seems like the government can't really win. It's criticized for poor infrastructure, but then when it tries to improve it, it's also criticized for uh, destroying the the natural landscapes and so forth within the country. Okay, so let's take a look at the physical geography of of this region. Uh, it's obviously a, a very large region, it has great diversity in its uh, physical landscapes, much as it has great diversity uh, linguistically, and culturally, ethnically, and, and uh, in religion as well. The four subregions, we're going to take a look at the four subregions of South Asia. And first of all, we have mountains of the north. And so we're talking about this area up in here. We have the Himalaya Mountains, for example. We have the Karakoram Range and so forth. So let's uh, take a close look at this uh, region. Uh, The northern rim, as I mentioned, is dominated by the Himalayan range, okay, in this area here. Then we have the Karakuram range over in here, okay. We've actually talked about the Karakuram range uh, previously uh, when we talked about uh, Central Asia. So that's up in this area here, as you can see. This is Kashmir. We'll talk more about Kashmir, Jammu, and Kashmir when we talk about the political geography of the region. so, we have the Karakuram Range, and then we have the Arakan Yoma Mountains um, on the border between India and Myanmar, or Burma, as it's sometimes referred to. And so, that would be right here in this area, right in here. So, you can see uh, the northern area of this uh, is really dominated by, uh, by mountains. And these mountain ranges have been created by the collision of two tectonic plates. And you can see we have the two tectonic plates coming together uh, here. We have the Indo Australian Plate and we also have the Eurasian plate coming together to form um, these, these mountain ranges. So essentially what happened here is uh, India was at one time in geological history many millions of years ago part of Australia and through tectonic activity it broke away from Australia and has been moving further northward and it eventually collided with the Eurasian uh, continent or the, the large Eurasian landmass to uh, as it continues to uh, collide with that landmass and it has created this mount, these mountain ranges. Uh, the second area that we want to take a look at, or the 2nd subregion within uh, uh, South Asia, is the Indus, Ganges, and Brahmaputra lowlands. Uh, these are low la- large lowlands that were created by tectonic activity as well. And there are three river systems uh, that impact this area. Uh, the first is obviously the Indus River, okay, and this is the Indus River right here. It flows through uh, Pakistan, for the most part. Uh, actually, has its beginnings in the Himalayas or the Tibetan Plateau up in here. Okay, and then it flows southward into um, the Arabian Sea. Um, then we have the Ganges River, as you can see here, right in this area. Uh, it also has its uh, beginning in the Himalaya Mountains and the Tibetan Plateau up in this area. Okay, and then it eventually flows. Uh, Kind of southeastward and flows, uh, and it flows obviously through northern India and then into Bangladesh where it empties into the Bay of Bengal. And then we have the Brahmaputra River, okay, and this is the Brahmaputra River here. It also has its beginnings in the Himalayas and the Tibetan Plateau, and it too flows into the Bay of Bengal in Bangladesh and forms this uh, delta area in Bangladesh. And we'll talk a little bit more about this delta area in a few minutes. Um, so, let's talk a little bit more about the rivers. Uh, the Indus is the longest river in the region. It's about 1800 miles uh, in length. The Ganges is about 1500 miles in length. And the Ganges is extremely important not just for Uh, the alluvial soils that it deposits when it floods and the uh, water that it provides for irrigation but it's also considered to be a sacred river by the Hindus and it's a densely settled area actually all these river valleys are very densely settled as we'll see when we uh, look at the population geography of the region Uh, uh, the Brahmaputra is approximately 1700 miles uh, in length and it joins the Ganges as I mentioned in Bangladesh to form this uh, uh, the Ganges Delta, uh, down in this area, around Daka and uh, further south. Uh, so let's move on and take, uh, actually I want to mention that the Indus River uh, that we talked about and the Ganges River actually, uh, This is we should take note of the Thar Desert here, sometimes also referred to as the Great Indian Desert, and that actually se- separates the Indus River from the Ganges River. Uh, let's talk a little bit about our 3rd subregion, which is Peninsular India. And the pen- Peninsular India, this area right in here, is dominated by the Deccan Plateau. And you can see that's uh, printed on the map right here, the Deccan Plateau. The Deccan Plateau is approximately two to 3,000 feet above sea level. It's, so it's an elevated plateau that's relatively uh, flat, of course. Uh, it contains the largest share of India's mineral resources, uh, uh, especially coal and iron ore. Uh, it has inconsistent soil fertility. Uh, so, some areas have, particularly near the rivers, has uh, good soil fertility because of the alluvial soils that are, are deposited there during flood times. But, <coughs> excuse me, some of the other areas, the soils aren't as fertile and so they're not as good for uh, agriculture. The water supply is unreliable uh, in many areas, uh, especially uh, India and many of the countries in this region, particularly India. Uh, really runs into problems if the monsoon rainfalls don't come uh, because it really disrupts the agricultural systems. So the water supply in this region can be unreliable at times. Uh, There's been an overuse of the underground aquifers uh, for supplying uh, irrigation water and uh, massive dam uh, projects threaten to displace many people. So we have uh, the Narmada River right in this area and the uh, Indian government has been proposing to build a dam along this river um, uh, for quite a number of years now and there's been a lot of protest uh, against the building of that dam uh, building these dams uh, by the local people because it'll displace so many people from their land uh, it'll destroy some good agricultural land and things like that uh, the purpose for building the dams is to supply electricity especially to Mumbai and the industrial cities uh, along the coast Um, and they also say it's to supply irrigation water for agriculture but as I mentioned there's been um, a lot of people would be displaced and so there's been a lot of protests against the building of that dam the Indian government has also proposed uh, several other dams and there's also been protests against those as well uh, also in the De- or, I'm sorry, also on Peninsular India, India we have a couple mountain ranges that we should take a look at first of all we have the Western Ghats uh, that uh, are right along the uh, uh, the coast here uh, with the Arabian Sea uh, right in this area here and you can see they're very close to the coastline so we have a very narrow coastal plain here so you essentially come in off the Arabian Sea very narrow coastal plain and then you hit the western ghats and this is really important for uh, precipitation that we'll be talking about when we talk about the uh, monsoon and I'll point out the importance of the, these mountains uh, along the east coast uh, with the Bay of Bengal you see we have the eastern ghats um, and the eastern ghats um, are a little bit further from the coastline as you can see so we have somewhat of a, more, uh, of a broader coastal plain along here. And you can also see that the eastern Ghats are somewhat discontinuous. That is, they're not a continuous mountain range along the whole coast. Whereas the Ghats are, are pretty continuous along the whole, the whole western coast. Uh, the western Ghats average about five to eight thousand feet above sea level. The eastern Ghats are somewhat lower in elevation. Now let's take a look at the southern islands uh, of, which would be our fourth sub-region in, uh, in this area. Uh, the southern islands include Sri Lanka uh, which is right here uh, just off the coast of, of India uh, it's actually separated from India by uh, the Palk Strait right here and this is only about 21 miles uh, between the two. Um, it has a tropical climate uh, very picturesque mountains as you can see it, it is quite hilly and that mountainous right here uh, that would be indicated by this uh, brownish color right here um, it is a tea growing region, and that's important. Uh, that was very important during British colonialism, because as you all know, the Prits like their tea, uh, you know, tea time and all that uh, sort of things. So a lot of tea plantations were started during the colonial period. And that still is a major crop uh, within, uh, within Sri Lanka, uh, the tea that they grow there. Uh, and I'll talk a little bit about the rain shadow in the northeastern part when we talk about the monsoon climate. Um, and, and so I'll talk about that in a few minutes. The Maldives, down in this area right here, uh, it's a chain of islands. And actually, there's over 1,200 islands in this uh, in this uh, chain of islands right here. Um, and they, uh, the, However, they're also very small islands because the total land area of the entire country is only 116 square miles. Uh, most of these islands are flat. Uh, and they were actually formed as uh, uh, coral atolls. Okay, so they're actually coral islands, uh, kind of coral reefs if you want to think of it in that way Um, and so uh, they're very low to sea level I think the highest elevation is around six feet so uh, the Maldives is is very concerned about global warming and sea level rise because if the sea level rises enough, uh, many of these islands could actually disappear uh, underwater Uh, Also, the Maldives, uh, a large proportion of its incomes comes from tourism. A lot of tourists come to these areas to take advantage of the the hot weather, uh, the beautiful Indian Ocean, and so forth. And, uh, of course, the beaches could be destroyed if sea level rises uh, significantly. So the Maldives is really concerned about global warming. Uh, Let's take a look at uh, some of the environmental issues in this region. As you can see, we have diverse landscapes that I've already talked about. uh, And we have a lot of different complex problems in this area. Um, So as I mentioned, uh, one of the problems is obviously flooding when the monsoons come. Uh, However, as I also mentioned, when the monsoon fails to come, um, it results in crop failure, famine, and hardship throughout the region. So uh, that can be a significant problem. Um, Also, we have uh, natural hazards in the region. Uh, So I'm going to talk about uh, Bangladesh first. It has a very high population density, as we'll see when we look at the population geography, and particularly down here in the Delta area. Uh, And as you can see, the Ganges Delta sedimentation brought down from the Himalayas has created a vast low-lying Delta area that is now densely settled by rice farmers. It's very rich soil, so uh, rice growing is very productive in this area. However, river flooding and storm surge from the oceanic cyclones uh, cause devastation and high loss of life. So one of the things that we're going to see when we talk about the uh, the monsoon is particularly in the mountainous areas where the uh, Ganges and the Brahmaputra have their uh, start, uh, their source, uh, receives lots of rainfall and of course that rainfall Flows into the, or uh, flows into the rivers, and then the rivers tend to flood, and when, especially when they get down into this delta area. Now that's good because it brings more sedimentation, and increases the farm area, but it also can be bad if it if the river when the rivers overflow their banks, destroy cropland, and they also destroy people's homes. Uh, Bangladesh unfortunately doesn't have good evacuation systems, so many people get caught in the floods, and, and die. And we have a similar situation when we have cyclones that come up through the Bay of Bengal and their storm surge inundates this delta area. Um, very often the most uh, significant damage with a hurricane or in this case we're talking about a cyclone, uh, as maybe some of you are aware, is the uh, storm surge that's created as the winds push uh, the uh, ocean waters or in this case the bay waters up onto the land surface. And of course this is salt water so that has a devastating effect on the crops. obviously it kills the crops and it also has a devastating fact, effect on the soil. And as I mentioned before, once again, many many thousands and even hundreds of thousands of pe- hundreds of thousands of people have been killed in some of the cyclones that have uh, ravaged Bangladesh throughout history. Um, so um, let's see. Um, I think that's all I want to talk about the, um, oh, I, what I did want to mention is uh, deforestation also in these, uh, that associated with the flooding, is the deforestation uh, that is occurring in the Himalayas. And that contributes to even more flooding because now we don't have the, uh, uh, the plant life to uh, kind of hold back the water in many cases, so now it just runs off. Not only that, it, the soil erodes and puts even more sedimentation into the rivers, which causes them to rise even higher, as the as the sediment settles in the in the river beds themselves. Uh, continuing with a discussion on forest and de, uh, forest and deforestation, most of this region was uh, once largely forested, and particularly in the uh, uh, Deccan Plateau, uh, was uh, pretty much uh, forested. Uh, uh, Back uh, back in time, uh, before uh, India saw its population increase so uh, by so much, uh, but much of the Deccan Plateau has been deforested. So thousands of years ago, the Ganges Valley and coastal plains uh, were were uh, deforested uh, again because of the population pressure in this area. In the highland areas, trees are cut for industrial needs. So the key trees up in this area are cut by um, industrial log. Industrial loggers for uh, pulpwood and further logs and their export to other countries. Um, as I mentioned, this obviously results in deforestation, shortage of fuel wood. Uh, women take more time to find wood, um, so they have to travel further to be able to find wood to uh, be able to cook and things like that. Um, the Chipko movement began in 1973, and we talk about the Chipko movement. Uh, I believe right here in this box here. Uh, As you can see uh, this box uh, mentions the eastern and western Himalaya foothills. Widespread logging of Himalayan forests has led to a critical wood shortage problem for villagers in the area. Additionally, deforestation has created severe soil erosion and landslide problems on steep slopes. The Chipko tree hugging movement by India by Indian women has led to some restrictions on forest cutting in the past several decades. And so that began in 1973 and continues today. Um, And so if you ever wondered where that whole notion of tree hugging came from, this is probably actually where it started. Chipko means uh, to hug or cling to. And the women actually have uh, been known to chain themselves to trees to prevent them from being cut down. Um, And just to give you an example, uh, the Indian uh, province of Uttar Pradesh, which is one actually one of the poorest provinces in India, uh, up in this area, has actually uh, banned um, commercial logging. Okay, so we also have problems with wildlife extinction in this re- region. Uh, much wildlife, uh, such as Asiatic lions uh, in Gujarat, India's Gujarat state, tigers in uh, Bangladesh, the Bengal tigers, and wild elephants in uh, are, are slowly disappearing uh, from this region wild elephants in, are in reserves in India, Sri Lanka, and Nepal so they have taken some measures to try to preserve uh, the wildlife um, but it's uh, uh, but it's still a problem uh, mainly because of human encroachment on the uh, habitats for some of these animals uh, that's uh, causing real problems because in India as you know most people are vegetarian So uh, it's not really an interest in uh, hunting these animals for food or anything like that. Although there is, um, I guess, uh, tourists who come in and do hunt these animals. Uh, So um, uh, that is somewhat of a problem. Uh, Let me see if I missed anything on this map for you. Uh, I I did mention the Narmada River and the, uh, the dams that they want to build along the Narmada River and the protests against those. Uh, We'll talk in depth about the Green Revolution uh, when we talk about the agriculture in this region. Uh, And and I'll just give you, uh, you know, I'll I'll just read this for you. Agriculture has successfully increased, uh, the Green Revolution agriculture has successfully increased wheat production in the Punjab area. Uh, The Punjab area has actually become known as India's wheat basket. and the, re- the way they've done this is through the heavy application of chemical fertilizers and pesticides. As, is, as a result, nearby wells and rivers are contaminated with agricultural chemicals. And so we often say that uh, the Green Revolution has been an agricultural success, but it's really been a social and economic failure in many ways. And I'll talk more about that uh, in an upcoming uh, lecture. Uh, so these are some of the environmental issues that we just talked about, the natural hazards with flooding and things like that, the deforestation, wildlife extinction, uh, and protection. And you can see here we have a, uh, some images of flooding in Bangladesh from a cyclone. And then you can see we have uh, logging of trees in, uh, in India as well and the problems that that creates. We've already talked about the, northern, uh, about the physical subregions of the region, so I'm not really going to talk about that anymore. Uh, you can see that the these subregions are pretty easily identified. We obviously we have the mountains up in here. Okay, this would be the Ganges uh, Delta down in here, and so we have the Ganges River and the Brahmaputra River coming in here to form the Delta. This obviously is the Deccan Plateau, and then of course these would be the southern islands down in this area. So pretty easily identifiable from this uh, satellite image. Um, Let's talk a bit about the climate. And this is where we're going to start talking about the monsoon a bit. Um, So let's talk about the climate in this region. Um, And actually, um, let me go to the next slide, uh, I think, which will give us even a better uh, picture of the monsoon climate. Um, So the monsoon, South Asia's monsoon. uh, This this is a distinct uh, seasonal change between wet and dry periods. And it's generally accompanied by wind. And actually, um, the wind shifts direction. And that's really what creates uh, the, the three different seasons that we'll see in this region. So we have a warm, rainy summer uh, monsoon, which is uh, June through October through much of the region. So this would be our summer monsoon down in here. OK? Now I'll talk a bit more in detail about these maps in a few minutes. Um, then we have a cold, dry winter monsoon, which is illustrated by this map up in here. Uh, The three seasons obviously then are the wet warm summer, the cold dry winter and then we actually have a hot period from March to late May Uh, and this is a time period when we have a buildup of heat and humidity uh, across the region Um, and this uh, triggers the wet summer monsoon. So let's talk about the cause of the monsoon. So first of all we'll talk about the winter monsoon. Um, As you can see we have a large high-pressure system that develops over Siberia. This is actually Siberia. This would be Central Asia. This would be Southern Siberia up in here. Um, And um, when we look at weather systems, one of the things that uh, if you watch the Weather Channel at all, you probably know that uh, when we have a high-pressure system, the winds around the high-pressure system uh, revolve around the system clockwise. So they're going in this direction. As you can see, what that does is it, it causes the winds to blow From the north and the northeast over the Himalaya Mountains where it picks up cool air and then uh, as it uh, and then blows eventually blows down over the Indian subcontinent down through Pakistan and of course down through Bangladesh so we have cool air coming out of Siberia uh, blowing over the Himalaya Mountains where it probably drops uh, a lot of its precipitation on the uh, windward side of the uh, Himalaya Mountains and then by the time it gets over the mountains it's lost much of its moisture but the air is still relatively cool uh, and it blows across the uh, Indian subcontinent um, so as I mentioned from this high-pressure cell cold dry winds blow outward from Asia's interior over the Himalayas down across South Asia this is the dry monsoon because remember uh, it's lot the, these, this uh, system first of all it doesn't have that much moisture to begin with because it's coming off uh, off the continent, uh, but any moisture that it would have would fall as snow on the on the uh, windward side of the mountains, and then be dry uh, on the uh, uh, on the leeward side of the mountains. And this is actually what we would call the rain shadow, okay? Because of of no precipitation uh, associated with these winds. Uh, in the spring, the winds diminish. This causes hot, dry temperatures from uh, March through May, as I mentioned. Um, the heat builds up; the interior land mass warms uh, significantly, and this causes a large low-pressure cell over land. Okay, so over here you can see over in Pakistan, uh, we have this uh, low-pressure cell that develops. Now, once again, if you've watched the channel Weather Channel, you know that around a, lo- uh, a low-pressure cell, the winds actually blow counterclockwise. So we have our winds flowing this way around the low-pressure cell and what this does is as the winds blow over the Arabian Sea over the Indian Ocean they pick up uh, the winds pick up moisture and of course as those winds hit the land surface um, particularly along this coastal area where we have the Western Ghats uh, where we have some mountains here in Pakistan that we talked about and of course with the Himalayas here that uh, those uh, winds uh, or the, the, the air rises uh, and as it rises, it cools. And as it cools, the air condenses and falls as rain. Uh, and so that's what we have along here. So um, then the Deccan Plateau is somewhat in the rain shadow, although because of uh, the amount of moisture-laden uh, air, uh, the Deccan Plateau also receives some rainfall. Now down here in Sri Lanka, um, because of the uh, of the height of some of these mountains here, uh, the uh, the air actually loses most of its moisture, and so the, the northwestern, or I'm sorry, the northeastern coast of Sri Lanka is actually in the rain shadow. So what that means is most of the precipitation falls uh, in the mountainous areas uh, or on the windward side of the mountains, and then um, the, the northeastern part of the island receives very little rainfall from us. It's in the rain shadow, um, and then of course you can see we have. Um, the winds blowing off the Bay of Bengal which drops a lot of rainfall in Bangladesh and of course once again we have to remember the uh, the orographic precipitation that's what really what we're referring to when we refer to uh, these air masses being lifted by the mountains uh, that causes the rainfall is as referred to as orographic precipitation Uh, so uh, really significant rainfall in the mountainous areas. There's a place up in here. I don't think it's on this map uh, uh, a city in India, uh, Char- uh, Charapunji, uh, that can receive up to 450 inches of rainfall in a year. 450 and you can't even imagine how much rainfall that is um, because in the Binghamton area here we receive probably 35 to 40 inches of uh, precipitation a year and that's all forms of precipitation. that's rain, snow, ice and so forth. Um, but so uh, I don't even know how you can imagine 450 inches of rainfall in a year and most of that comes during the summertime. So you can imagine the amount of water that's put into the streams and rivers in this area then eventually flow uh, through the uh, Ganges uh, river valley, the Brahmaputra River Valley and obviously cause the rivers to flood. Um, so, uh, let me see here if I've missed anything in my notes on the low pressure cell over land It's strong, the strong low pressure draws warm moist air from the Indian Ocean This wet uh, monsoon brings, um, brings uh, rain for several weeks um, throughout the region uh, So Bombay or Mumbai here can receive up to 6 feet of rain in the months of June, July and August if you can imagine. And uh, because of some of the uh, lack of infrastructure, uh, and, and largely because these cities are growing so rapidly, there is a lack of infrastructure. And we'll find city f- or urban flooding um, in Mumbai, Delhi, and some of the other large cities. Uh, so we'll actually find, you know, um, we can actually find a foot of water or more s- uh, standing in the streets um, for, uh, uh, you know, over the summer months. Okay, so I did mention this notion of orographic precipitation. I just want to make sure that you uh, have a good grasp of exactly what that is. So um, orographic um, precipitation is sometimes also referred to as mountain-induced precipitation. Um, So as I mentioned, uh, along the Ghats here, some parts of the Ghats receive up to 200 inches of rainfall a year. So once again, I, I just want to make sure you understand, as, these, uh, moisture-laden, uh, as this moisture-laden air flows in off the Arabian Sea or off the Indian Ocean and it hits the mountains, it's forced to rise. And of course we know as air rises, it cools. And we know that as air cools, it condenses. And when air, And when that condensation occurs, then we start to see rainfall and much of the rain occurs right along the coastal areas here uh, as I mentioned some of the Western Ghats can receive up to 200 inches of rainfall uh, annually uh, and then as the uh, air masses continue their journey over the top of the mountains they tend to uh, sink and somewhat dry out uh, but because of the, these air masses in this region of the world have so much moisture associated with them uh, very often um, that Uh, pattern continues when they hit the Himalaya mountains and once again the air masses are forced to rise, Um, the air uh, cools and condenses and and then we have precipitation that occurs. Okay, Um, So some of the areas here are not uh, impacted as greatly uh, by uh, the monsoon. Obviously Pakistan uh, probably does not receive as much rainfall as some of the areas in India uh, and, and Bangladesh and so forth. So that's a bit on the uh, on the monsoon, and uh, hopefully you uh, um, have a good grasp of uh, the monsoon. And because the monsoon is really important for this area, it's really important because, as I mentioned, if the monsoon fails to come, uh, it has a devastating effect on the people of this region. Because crop, we'll see crop failures, we'll see famine, starvation, and so forth. And as I mentioned, we have issues with global warming as well, especially with sea level rise in the region. Um, sea level rise will obviously have a very uh, devastating effect on the Maldives but also along the coastal areas it could also have a significant impact as well and not only that uh, we could see some of the uh, glaciers and so forth and rapid snow melt in the Himalayas uh, cause even more uh, flooding and so forth in this region Okay, so I think that's where I'm going to stop for this lecture. When we come back uh, for the next lecture, we'll take a look at the population and settlement geography of South Asia, as well as the, the cultural geography of the region.